Welcome. Today, I have a conversation with Ethan Hackett, a friend of mine who's been on the podcast at least a couple of times. Um, he is insightful, curious, fun, just a brilliant interlocutor. So this conversation's a bit meandering. We talk about thinking and communicating today and uh, just a bunch of related things. So if you have a minute, join us for our conversation. This is On Life with Jamie Sinclair, episode 25. Let's roll this. So thanks for joining me, dude. Um, I love I love your the effort you put into thinking, thinking well, learning, being open to new ideas. And so I want to kind of have like a just a conversation a little about thinking. And there's a lot of places we could start, but I was thinking, let's start with this. Here's an observation I've I've come to over the past few years. Uh, Pre-COVID, I kind of was trying to find some sort of hook that wasn't directly related to COVID, <laughs> and I thought of one. Unfortunately, it's direct. It's related to the other. Like, oh, I wish we didn't have to talk about this topic. At least in my opinion. So, Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, one of the That's things. It, third rail. We'll ju- we're done. Bunch I know. Of listeners, they just jump ship. They're like, no. <laughs> but like one of the things I noticed that was really interesting through the Trump phenomenon, but then I realized mm. this happens all the time in so many places, was, was there can be a tendency to settle in on some sort of take. And then, I don't know if it's because of human insecurity. I don't know if mm. it's because of just a bias we, we come into. Like, think about the why here. But here's what I saw. I mm. saw people who were kind of like, hmm, two options. I guess he's the lesser of two evils. I'll go for him. But then it moved from like this sense of, well, this is, I'm just trying to like do the best in this moment to like, uh, uh, almost like eventually arriving to like knee jerk defend Trump MAGA. Like it was like this interesting shift where I was like, man, I totally understand and respect your initial reasoning but you landed somewhere that doesn't even think to be seem to be thoughtful at all. It's like it's mm. very knee jerk and like kind of like you drank the Kool-Aid in quotes. And uh, but then I realized we do that all the time. We, we kind of when we initially encounter some sort of like new uh, new sphere of thinking and figure processing, we might like work through some stuff. But eventually we settle into something and then we almost I don't know if it's to justify it ex post facto or because it is some sort of 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 bias that we then carry and there's the confirmation like Trump is amazing or whatever. And I'm, I'm using Trump now. I can't think of many other specifics, but I know it's something that's kind of common. I think it's part of why I want to talk about thinking and then eventually even just like the tendency to go along with the mob, to fall into the polarized thinking. Um, and I, I feel like part of it is this... I. Uh, justifying and or bias that comes from initially a thoughtful position, but it like Mm -hmm. devolves to a very unthoughtful one. I don't know. Have you observed something like that? What's your take on that? What's the why? Yeah. So many, so many like paths to go in here. Um, It reminds me of um, this book I was reading. I can't recall what it is now, but um, it may have actually been Thomas Sowell's book on um, economics. And I think it, it was something like when somebody is being conned, if you can con them out of a little bit of money, you can con them out of a lot. And what ends up happening is as soon as you've committed to an idea, there's this natural mechanism where you want to be right as much as you want, or you want to have been right as much as you want to be right. Mm. Um, and those are not necessarily the same thing. And so if you can con somebody out of a hundred dollars, then you can probably get them for 10,000 gradually because you, they don't want to admit that they're wrong and they'll double down on losses to prove that they're not wrong. They want to prove that they're not wrong more than they want to be right. And I like I don't know if that that is part of it. Um, I think it is. There's there's like this self-defense mechanism I think that we all have when we're talking about ideas or or anything that's important to us. So I think there's some of that there. Um because at some level this does parallel so take vaccines let's maybe later we can let's not actually talk about the vaccines per se right now but there was there's a tendency it it is hard it's difficult for someone to look at the initial efficacy numbers that were like 90 percent. it's hard for them to accept that six months later at like below 50 
Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean they were wrong, but it's at least grounds to like rethink things. And it's hard to rethink, right? right? Like even if on, maybe on both you, sides. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think some of that comes to rarely, rarely do we make a decision um, off of one point of, of information. It's I always see it as like you're making a brick wall. And, you know, and this is where I think, you know, within the scripture talking about Christ is like the cornerstone, right? You're, you're building a brick wall and every idea has implications on the next brick that you're going to put on top. It's going to inform where you need to put the next one. So maybe a stone wall would be a better example because you have all these different sizes, Irregularly right? shaped, yeah. Yeah. So whichever, whichever stone you have at your foundation, you're like, this is, this is what I'm going to build my whole wall off. You put that at the base level. And then as you go, you're going, it's just going to inform everything that you build on top of that. So what ends up happening is you, you're building this wall of ideas and it, 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 it involves human nature or how you perceive human nature, the reality of God or no God, um, how much trust you have in science, your understanding of bias, like all of these things are stacked up. And then you end up with this massive wall and we're talking about topics that come into play much higher on that infrastructure. So we're talking about, is the vaccine safe or not? Well, so early on when this vaccine was coming out, everyone already had some degree of opinion on the topic prior to it, based on the wall that you've built up. Now, the, the more evidence that comes out, it may mean you have to go back to your wall and really replace some of those. That mm. becomes far more difficult with every piece of evidence that makes you have to go deeper. And so... If you find a really, really challenging piece of evidence that calls into question, you know, the honesty of pharmaceutical companies or something, right? Right. Then you then you have to go back down that layer. Like, okay, well, how did it get past regulatory agencies like the FDA? Then you start having to ask questions about the FDA and the government. Then you have to look at human nature. Like, it's just it, it, it's rarely is it this like simple, hey, if this vaccine is safe or it's not safe, because the implications of the reality of what it is is going to mean you have to rearrange your your intellectual infrastructure and scaffolding in some capacity. And that's that's a really hard ask on anyone, yeah. um, and including ourselves, as we realize that, I think. You, you know, this what you just said made me think of two things. One is uh, the fear that we can have as a believer that there's like this this fear you can have as a Christian that like you don't want to rethink anything because what if all of a sudden your whole faith in Jesus comes tumbling down? So there can even be a right. fear response to not want to reconsider and then to double down on. Um, mm-hmm. th- there can also be, uh, like you noted, you're not just asking about the 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 efficacy of something. You're not simply looking at the percentages in a study. In the current issues we're facing, you're then questioning like the honesty and integrity of of experts and institutions. And I was thinking, this reminds me, several years ago, I was listening to a podcast I loved. It was called Away With Words. I don't know if it still exists. I, I jumped ship. And the reason why is this. Um, I'm sure they're brilliant. I, I really enjoyed them. Uh, they talk about grammar, etymology, just English. It's like an English language podcast. I enjoyed really? it. Have you heard of really? this? <laughs> no, I haven't. But I'm sure a bunch of our listeners are going... Okay, you lost me at the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's so fun, though. Like, I, I love that stuff. But sure. then they started talking about the words persons and people. And is people the plural of person or persons? And, mm-hmm. and they started talking about that question. And it's actually something I happen to know a little bit about and I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And, and one of their comments was like, well, if, if, if persons was the correct pluralization of person, then the Constitution wouldn't say we the people. And like I almost blew a, a a fuse because the Constitution actually includes both the word per- persons and mm-hmm. the word people because people and persons are different things. And I'm not going to get into an etymological conversation at the moment. But what happened yeah. was this podcast that I really respected and enjoyed. All of a sudden, when they started talking about something I happened to have already been an expert on, mm-hmm. I realized how not expert expert they were just earlier today i was listening to a podcast between two attorneys doing a breakdown the kyle rittenhouse trial and literally they were like they had they had the wrong number of gunshots they said he shot uh rosenbaum three times but the answer is four and and they had just like a bunch of facts were incorrect i was like not only do i disagree with your conclusions but i can't even like respect this conversation 
because I happen to have been following this and like they, they were like talking about, you know, he's he's in Kenosha. He just drove there to be at the protest. I'm like, no, he went in for work earlier that day, regardless of whether or not self-defense was valid. Like when you actually start learning about something, your trust for these systems starts crumbling. And that's scary to like realize, oh, maybe the FDA isn't the BLN doll. Maybe the media, I can't trust them. But then how do I learn information? So I guess you're right. Like what's tricky with some of these questions is it's not just rethinking one variable. Right. There's a potential to like, mm, there's a potential to have to rethink a lot of things. And in the midst of that rethinking, I think it's hard for us to, it might take months to do the rethinking. And it's yeah. hard for us to hold things loosely for months. Um, yep. And that actually leads me, uh, we, we chatted briefly via Twitter uh, leading up to our conversation right now. And it made me think of a quotation by Aristotle. Yeah. That it is the, oh man, I'm blanking on it now. Uh, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's hard for many people to even wonder, like genuinely, is, is the FDA actually reliable? Are they reputable? And, and for whatever reason, it seems like most people have to say yes, or they right. immediately flip to like, you can never trust anything out of the FDA. It's like on-off binary thinking. Like, what, what, have you seen that? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think the, the binary solution is, is a good way to articulate it. It's like you either believe something wholeheartedly or you don't. It's a yes or it's a no. And to concede any ground on that makes you feel like putting that brick into that wall is not secure and you can't build off anything on top of that yet. So how do you how do you live in a world where everything is just not like that? And I want to be very clear. I, I'm I believe in objective truth, that things are objectively true or not. How many bullets Kyle Rittenhouse may have fired that like there's an absolute number that is true. So I, I, I just want to like preface that. So it's not like, you know, um, but how we understand or what we believe or trust of those sources is not as binary. And it's, mm-hmm. I see it as a spectrum of like zero, meaning you don't believe it, 100, meaning you fully believe it. And you can move along that spectrum of belief in that thing. Um, you know, and, and so, and that's with almost everything. And so the more experience you have on something or the more informed you become, the more solidified those things tend to become in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you can lean one more, one way or the, another, but if somebody came to me and, and, you know, held a gun to my head and held, you know, it was like, where do you stand on this topic? You know, here or this or this. And I'll be like, I don't know, like I'm yeah. 60%, like, you know, but if you're going to shoot me, I'll say 40, like just to not die. Like, but there's some things that I'm really more set in where it's like a hundred and I've got convictions. I'm like, I, I don't, I have not seen a single thing of evidence that's going to overchange, like change my opinion on this. I'll try to be open um, to hearing stuff, but I don't know. Um, and I, I think that that plays a lot into how we have conversations with other people as well. I, I try to be cognizant that I, I have a spectrum of beliefs and I might be reacting out of, of a place where I'm responding in a way that, that I feel like obliged to say I believe a thing more than I actually do and, and need that person to change their opinion, right? And we see this online is, is I think a good example where everyone needs to have an opinion on everything. And it's hard to say, hey, here's what I believe, but I believe this 60%. Mm-hmm. And then it's even harder in that topic to say, when you, when you disagree with somebody, for them to say, well, how did you get to that point? What does your wall look like that you built up to that point that gave you that perspective? I genuinely care. I genuinely, as a person, I feel like I try to understand that. I'm fascinated by how people built their walls and got to their their you know opinion on a thing. But people, that's a very exhausting thing to to unpack and like get down into somebody's life in that way. And that takes a lot of time and effort. And maybe that's why I like Joe Rogan's podcast or um, Africa Brooks um, with these long podcasts that take a long time to unpack certain topics or conversations because there's so much underlying context that unless you're willing to dive into that, you you kind of, you know, uh, it's hard to talk about things at a surface level. I don't know if that came across really well. hundred uh, percent. And Definitely a phenomenon that preceded the past five years, because there's the past five years have been they've been a ride. It's but, bananas. But something that preceded that that was maybe already headed in that direction was soundbite culture. Yes. Um, soundbites, hot takes. I uh, certainly this happened in you know 
mainstream like television, but mm. also largely social media tends to prioritize the meme, the 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 pithy extreme statements. You know, a, a long nuanced essay just doesn't get the same viral attention. Absolutely, right, <laughs> um, right, and some of that's laziness. I, I do. It does seem like there's something comforting about being really decided in opinions and or mocking what you disagree with mm-hmm. is that does that just satisfy like a an evil desire or a laziness desire i think it's wrong period but like what why is it comforting to like hear the person say that soundbite you like and like you share it like what is that t- tapping into do you know what I mean? Like, there's just this, like, it, it feeds something. It goes viral for a reason. It's, it's playing on something in us. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what gets us so emotionally, like, wound up about a lot of this. Um, I don't know. I, I'd have to, I'd honestly have to take a step back and unmull that over. Yeah. It does, it, maybe the best thing I could think of recently is, you know, like the let's go Brandon thing, right? Is, is an interesting, <laughs> um, you know, uh, point, right? Um, yeah. Where I see lots of people on, on, I would say the right or Republican or whatever that side of things are now um, talking about like, let's go Brandon. They're using it. They're having fun with it. And then I've seen people on the left that are like, well, we're not offended by that. It doesn't trigger us. It doesn't work. And it's like, I don't know that it's, that's necessarily even the triggering of the other side is necessarily you know, the, the purpose of something like that. I think that there is this desire to belong and to be part of a group mm-hmm. and to um, feel like you're part of something. And then for that, that thing to value you and, and, and draw you in. And so when you're contributing to a movement or you're contributing to an idea and you get recognition and validation from people who are also in that camp, I think it actually is maybe tapping into something of value. So to me, the let's go Brandon thing it feels like there's a lot of really unhappy people in America that are not happy with, you know, Biden and in the direction he's taking. I also think that that whole group doesn't want to say the F word. <laughs> and so right. this appeases them and it gives them the ability to like say it without actually saying it. But then there's also this like camaraderie that comes in when you have a whole stadium of people chanting that same thing with you. You're like, I belong. I'm part of a thing. I'm not uh, an outlier. I'm not a weirdo. I'm like, I found my tribe, as people like to say, right? Uh, And so I think that there is an aspect of wanting to belong to something um, that as soon as you take an opinion that is either like contrarian or like opposed to the majority, you're isolated. And that stinks. No one loves being in that. Uh, That's like the worst feeling, right? You feel so alone. And so I think that there is this, yeah, this belonging that happens, especially on social media, when you share a thing like a thing, follow other people that are in similar similar veins. You you feel like you're you're part of something, and maybe that's because we are becoming like less good about giving that to each other in our real lives. Right. Uh, like we were designed yeah. for community. We're gonna find it, even if we have to go to like social media and sound bites to find belonging. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's I think some of that's okay. You know, uh, you I'd like to think back at the internet and it's like innocence days where anything would would go, and you had all kinds of forums for all kinds of topics. And you like, you finally found your group that like that's that same band. And there was something like really cool and neat about that. Um, and I think that it's like, you the internet is evolving and it's like changing into this thing of where like, you know, we're warring and ideas and trying to prove our points right. and no, just no, outrage you, everything. So you're pretty old too. Do you remember the days of like nice. chat rooms? Oh yeah. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Like literally that's where I learned to, but it was, it was generally, remarkably good-natured like i'm talking 1999 i would be on like chat rooms i was like 12 13 and i would go in aol and messenger and open chat rooms and literally i would have like <laughs> six little windows open at once and i would just be debating right. people i'd be debating philosophy and theology and politics and it was so fun right but i never the interesting thing is i i feel like there has been a shift where and maybe it's just because i'm getting older and jaded but we're all like curmudgeonly kids right. these days <laughs> exactly i feel like and we've talked about it, i think in the past that 
the idea of charity towards another person, right? Like mm. you, you, I feel like we've, we're losing it where I have never had more conversations with people that think I am a hateful, selfish person for the ideas that I've fallen on have become like really vicious towards my person um, to the point of saying that, you know, a, a past colleague would be like, I, I would be terrified to, to work with you. You're a threat. And I'm like, wow. hold the phone. Like just a couple years ago, we were like side by side doing the same thing. And I knew you didn't agree with some of my beliefs and I didn't believe with, you know, some of yours. And that was like, okay, but we had this like degree of mutual respect, yeah. but now we're getting to the point where it's just destroying people's character if you disagree with them. And, and I don't even know how to have a conversation with somebody when I want to, I want to try and understand your, your you know, scaffolding of, of beliefs and how did you get to that? And, and I'm genuinely curious and we have to like work through that together. It's a really, you know, exhausting process, but it's worth it. And when I present an idea and I met with like, you're just a hateful, selfish person. I'm like, I don't know where to go from here. Right. I don't, uh, I yeah, don't it, assume that about you. Like, yeah, a, a, an example. There are a lot of conversation ending accusations thrown out very quickly these days. You know, yeah. uh, the, the term racist is rightly considered like being a racist is like a conversation ending, like horrible proclamation regarding someone. And I think to some degree, rightfully so. The problem is now it's been it's thrown around if you like blink wrong or if you make the okay hand gesture, like just all the, this silliness, you're like, how do we have a conversation when you're saying I'm a racist? And so I want to talk more, maybe in a minute about how to try to have conversations, mm. but maybe one more brief idea. Cause I, I do think you mentioned like just the idea to try to find belonging community in a relational and community starved context. We're not very good at having healthy community. So we search it out in, in, sayings and whatever but but also something i've thought about is, is i think part of our current thinking problem is laziness and thinking but also there's definitely fear and i think some of the fear for example take guns uh i i know people who think you know if there are guns around people die i'm like i happen to live in a county where like everybody i know has lots of guns and things like murder with a gun is extraordinarily rare uh it happens i think like a few years ago a guy stabbed his girlfriend um somebody got strangled it, like literally it actually i can't even think of a gun murder in the past few years i'm sure there have been but like the point is guns don't equal murder but some people are just so f afraid of guns but but i've also I've, I've heard something similar with like Immigration. I remember a conversation with a friend several years ago, and they're afraid that some immigrants might be terrorists. And I was like, well, firstly, that's really unusual. Actually, most legal immigrants are not at all terrorists. But even if you could promise me that like one per 100,000 immigrants was where it would be a terrorist, I would still be pro-immigration. Like that, we do things that have risk. You know, we drive cars, even though people die. We... We interact with other people, even though we might catch the flu, like we, you, life has risks in it, but they were so afraid and, and genuinely, I don't think they were feigning their fear. They were afraid of terrorists coming in amongst the immigrants. Um, a few years ago, I was on campus at a state university here in New York, and I was talking to this kid who was protesting racism on campus and he was, he was a black student. And he was, he, he literally told me to my face, he said, right now I have math class, but I am scared to go to class. I'm not sure I'll be safe. And I, he was being serious. Like, I don't yeah. think I, I, he was being genuine. I think he was really terrified. And I just remember that moment thinking, dude, two things. A, you going to math class in Carson Hall is probably one of the safest places to be in the universe, in the history of the universe. Um, but B... If there were any threat on campus, you're a lot more likely to get shot up at this BLM protest in the student center than math class in Carson. But I didn't tell him that. But um, like, but this fear is like driving some thinking. And and certainly in the past year and a half, I've seen fear drive thinking. I've seen people, yeah, rather than having like a, a balanced perspective of COVID or of even like the risks in the vaccine. Like I'm fine if somebody gets it or doesn't, but 
don't be afraid of it. Like, I don't know what, where the fear comes from. I'm like, look, there are risks. You make a thoughtful decision. You don't have to be afraid of COVID or afraid of the vaccine. Like, I, there's just so much fear in the mob mentality. Um, mm. A, what are some ways you've seen fear affecting thinking? And how do we personally, like you and me, not sol- yeah. so- solutions for other people, how do we mm-hmm. not fall prey to just like fear-based thinking rather than like, just good prudence. Like the Bible talks about seeing evil coming right. and hiding yourself. Like we should be aware right. of risks and, but not operate out of fear. Like fear is right. not from God. And what was the other verse about uh, the man who hides in his house, you know, concerned about a lion roaming the oh, streets? Oh yeah. There's a lion is outside. The... I'll be killed in the public square. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so I'm reminded of two things. I was, you know, there's somebody in, uh, in my life that um, when I gave feedback about something really important on a topic they would respond the conversation would go okay and then suddenly they would respond with this like kind of mean attack and i was like what in the world i had it was almost irrelevant from the topic at hand uh and i was you know distract the whole conversation would pivot and then we talk about that and over a period of time, I realized this was like a self-defense mechanism when a conversation got to a point where this person wanted to remove themselves from the conversation and, and go process that then this is how they got that space was by throwing out an attack to get distance to process. Uh, where I wanted to just like continue talking through it to get to a conclusion um, and, and, and understanding. Uh, so I think we, we process the information very differently and we're not very aware of us trying to understand a topic, where our boundaries are, and why somebody is responding in a way that they're responding. And there's this like pressure, like, well, I have to respond and the conversation has to keep going. One of us has to win. So I'm going to get to the point. And now I'm going to throw out something because I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's not going anywhere. I don't want you to feel like you've won. And it's just this knee-jerk response, right? So I think um, I think some of that is in, in our culture, right? Where um, we are responding from a very emotional place. The other, other thing that um, I'm reminded of I was, I was with somebody that um, was uh, in a real bad relationship and um, their their spouse sent them this letter um, and it was um, just a bunch of accusations. And this person, it was a, it was a legal thing. And this person um, was so beaten down mentally that they were responding from a place where they could not even finish a thought. And they would read one sentence or one paragraph, start responding it to it, and then jump to another one. Mm-hmm. And, and literally, in order to work with this person, I had to fold the paper down so that they could only see one paragraph at a time and say, let's just talk about this. I'm, I'm going to take your phone. We're going to put it over here. We're going to take, I'm going to take the computer. I'm just going to type out what you're telling me. But just look at that paragraph. Let's talk about that t- paragraph. And any time that person would veer off, I'd come back to that paragraph and, and help them stand because they were in such a like tough place mentally, they could not even process this. And it reminds me of this professor who I was listening to just the other day, who was talking about the country's response to COVID. And I think it's true of a lot of topics, which is uh, we have this free floating anxiety, which comes from all kinds of things. It could be economics, it could be um, relationships with family, it could be uh, COVID, uh, you name it, all of these variables. And we're not really cognizant, I think, of knowing where some of the anxiety comes from. Then you have somebody like media present an idea, whether it's through a politician or a demagogue or you know even anyone. It could be you or me presenting an idea that's really passionate to us, but it ties that anxiety to something. And so you, you may have all this world anxiety that now somebody's coming and telling you what it's all hinged to. That stress you're feeling, it's COVID. And we need a solution for COVID. And immediately you're emotionally invested in trying to find a solution to that because your anxiety is tied so much to that thing. And so we want a solution. And now that you've got the solution that's going to fix all of your anxieties, we want to see that solution come to pass because that's what's going to alleviate all of our fears. And so you become dedicated to that solution, even if it's just obviously not working or not working as they told you it would, you're so heavily invested that in order for you to change your opinion, you have to f- go back and figure out where all that anxiety actually came from and and actually try to solve it. Um, and if 
that I, I think that that is happening culturally at a massive scale on every single topic. Right. You know, it might be immigration. It might be BLM. It might be, um, you know, COVID masks, vaccine, all in the, we're all, we have so much anxiety right now as a society, I think. Yeah. And we are trying to find solutions for that. And I think maybe that's where it goes back into like how you have these irrational conversations with about Trump and Biden. It's like, there's banana stuff on both sides. And, and Bill Maher was talking about this recently in an interview um, with um, was it Chris Cuomo. And he's like, you like there's banana stuff on, you know, on, on the blue side. And just because it's blue, you know, um, CNN, MSNBC, they're not going to talk about it. Mm. And then on the red side, you're going to have Fox News and they're going to talk about these things. But no one's going to talk about their own side's things. Um, and I think they're just like presenting the solutions. And I, mean, I think I'm, I'm rabbit trailing here. But going back, I think we're just there's like so much emotional anxiety hinging on these solutions that we're not even talking about the the thing itself anymore. We're often talking talking about a lot of the other free floating anxieties. That's good. And well, firstly, one thought you have tremendous patience with your friends. That's awesome how you helped with them and like focus one step at a time. That's a great. I don't know if I've ever been quite in a situation like that, but I'm going to keep that in my bag of tricks. Yeah. I mean, and some of that came from reading um, some books on um, abusive relationships. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things when you are in a relationship with an abuser, a men, like an intellectual abuser, psychopath, right. you know, narcissist, what ends up happening is you get to a place where you are responding from an emotional place and you can't finish a coherent thought and you start down one line of thinking. But by the time you get to the end of that, you jump to another point because you're, you're, it's just chaos and you're trying to solve a puzzle with all these things floating around. And that actually makes you look really, really crazy. And so, right. which helps protect the abuser because then when somebody's coming out, they're like, does this sound crazy? And I'm, and so it's just, it's chaos. And one of the key indicators that somebody may be being abused is they literally can't finish a thought and they can't string together the problem and articulate it well. And when they start talking about it, oftentimes they just, they go back to like, do I sound crazy? Am I crazy? And they're looking for somebody to validate and help them solve this puzzle because they know there's a problem, but they've gotten to a point where they can't finish that. And I think mm -hmm. that that's happening at a, um, in a global sense. Uh, I think that we're all responding from this kind of like mass abuse from, I would say, corporate media right. personally, but... That would, yeah. <laughs> Corporate media definitely has not helped. Uh, I shouldn't say just not helped. That's understatement. They've harmed a lot. <laughs> yeah. But like you said, there there are so many anxieties in society, and 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 I think we have lost some of the fundamental ways to stay healthy, like being secure in your own identity and being self aware, having healthy like real world relationships, friends, family around you, like. You know, I was I was uh, chatting with somebody the other day, and I was mentioning, um, like birds, their feathers deflect water very well. But mm. if a, a bird isn't like healthy, it can actually get into a situation where it's like soaked to the bone, so to speak. Like the, mm. the under the feathers is wet. There's different kinds of feathers. I don't know very much about birds. No ornithologist here. But like, there's some sort of mechanism and. When we are personally healthy and we're in a healthy relationship with the people around us, and you know, ultimately, I think this decidedly comes down to having a healthy relationship with God. But when we're not in that kind of healthy place, when the the just the twists and turns and difficulties in life come, we get soaked to the bone rather than the water like washing right. off us like some sort of you know uh, what's the stuff you put on your windshield Rainex? Yeah, you know, Rainex, like yeah. that's like when you're healthy when you're like self-aware and personally secure and in a healthy relationship, stuff's going to come at you. Like none of us are above. Jesus said in this world, you're going to face tribulation. Yeah. But when we're healthy in Jesus and we have community, like it kind of, to an extent, just the water runs off. But yeah. we live in a, not only do we live in a moment the past few years where there's been like floods and floods and floods, but we also live in a country where hundreds of millions of people are not at all secure in who they are and have a healthy relationship with the Lord and are self-aware and are in healthy community. And so we were like primed for these floods just to like mm -hmm. wreak havoc. And uh, yeah, we need Jesus ultimately. <laughs> for sure. And, and uh, I think there's, 
we're so removed from things like death. We're removed from um, food insecurity. We're removed from, when I say we, I mean, not, uh, clearly there's a whole, that still exists for lots of people in America, I think generally speaking. Yes. Um, and so when we, um, when we come up to threats that threaten our livelihood or our way of life, that threat is actually really, really big because it's like a threat of us losing our internet and our PlayStation 5s. And it's like, okay, well, the more things we have, the more things we're going to be concerned about and we're going to try and keep. And when we take a step back, I found it seems like those that have the least tend to be in the position more where they understand the transience of life and mm. and like to not get hung up on some of the things that we just value. And so I don't know if that that's a hate first world problems, but that's, you know, it's an attachment to our wealth and our and the things that are in our lives, I think a lot. It does seem that first world problems lead to more psychological problems. Even as as seemingly trivial or silly as they might be, first world problems seem to like actually be disastrous, if that makes sense. I don't yeah, think I'm making sense. Can you explain no. what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I mean, I think even going back to going back to scripture, it's like harder for a rich man to enter the gates of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Like because we we become so in control, and maybe that's mm-hmm. what it is, right? Yeah. Um, where I'm so blessed that I have a great job and good health, and that I can manage most of my life by myself. Um, that's like I, I'm, I'm, like that's a blessing. I'm so thankful for it. But that means I'm controlling so much of my life, and very seldom do I have do I have to be, or I feel like I'm in a position where I'm like, okay, God, you have to solve this for me because I literally have no way of doing this. I feel like be, because of the lifestyle and like what God has given me, I have. A, I'm so blessed, right? That sounds like a, I don't know how to articulate it better than that. Like. I, I can pay my bills. I can put food on our table. I, you know, right now we, we don't have a house, but we're in the process of buying one. Like, but again, I'm waiting on God on that, but like, that's it. Like, that's a hard, that's a, I don't know. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So, um, so circling back to something from a few minutes ago, obviously it's hard to have constructive conversations these days, given the, the polarization in our culture, the, the relative thoughtlessness most people, even people we agree with, bring to conversation. How, how, how should we try to approach productive conversation? Like, what's what's worked for you? What are you hoping to try? <laughs> like, how do you talk to people who who differ with you on some of these hot button issues? At, at this point, I don't. Uh, and I, it's like, that's, and maybe that's what I was trying to get at earlier where I feel like the world has shifted so much. I feel like now, um, there is so much intolerance for somebody of an opinion, an opposing opinion that to even have a conversation, uh, with that person gives them credibility and, and people will not allow it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it opens up this like uncomfortable space and people don't, they don't want to talk. Um, or they don't feel like they want to talk. I, I feel like over the years, conversations have become less and less in person and more online. And the more we are online, the less easy it is. As much as I take a step back and try to say, okay, I'm going to stop using the term I, I'm going to say we, right? Because I'm trying to put or you. And so I try, I try so hard when I'm writing to put myself in the group that I'm talking about so that it doesn't feel accusatory, but it feels, feels inclusive. Like I'm, I'm including myself in this side. We all approach things with biases. I'm not saying you do because I totally do like, and I can't say I do. And, and so I'm, I try, but that's up to the other person to then receive it well. And so that's up to the person who's going to be like, come in and be like, I totally disagree, but you know? Um, so I just, honestly, I feel like conversations, I can't, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I can, I can help bridge that gap. It almost feels like, we are getting to a point that that scares me because we can't have intellectual conversations in a, with people that we disagree with and and like not have hurt feelings at the end. Um, True. I, that's the wrong answer, right? Like I, <laughs> I think I, I wish that it was going yeah. better, but I don't. Well, I I think there's some truth to or some wisdom to knowing 
when to even try. Like, like certainly it's a bummer, but there are a number of, I can think of many times in the past year where I've just avoided talking about something with someone. Cause I'm like, this is not going to be productive. I can tell it's, there's already a little tension here and right. like, don't even breach broach the subject. Um, and that's too bad. You know, yeah, it's a bummer because I mean, at some level, there's an elephant in the room and you know it's there. And when you all know it's there and you just don't talk about it, it's not like that's actually particular. Maybe that's better than talking about it and like killing each other. <laughs> but it's not like it's actually like relationally healthy. It's and, not uh, relationally healthy. And no. I'm even it, thinking the context like there are people in the community I know that we're not like good friends, but we know each other. And uh, I helped work the polls. I'm a New York State like election inspector and helped do on voting days. I didn't help a couple weeks ago because I had class that morning. But like I did help in the primary back in June. And it was a pretty slow primary day. Not many. There were only a couple like like uh, village positions, like a county position. So it was really slow. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'd have tens of minutes between voters. And so I had conversation with other poll inspectors and I know there are people around town that I've known for years now. And, uh, you know, a couple of times we started having like conversation about like more hot button issues. And we did a pretty good job of like just sharing and listening and not like attacking or being defensive. And I was like, Hey, this is like, we're actually, we didn't come, we didn't solve anything, but we heard each other, which I think is sometimes the first step. Um, we also, by the way, we had like good conversation about people's jobs and farm life and somebody's had just had a house fire like the previous week. And, and so like we were able to like connect in like on meaningful conversations in other ways. Plus, we heard each other on the hot button ones. Um, another positive. So I started law school a few months ago and I was down there. I was in Syracuse for a week. It's like a hybrid program, part in person, part online. And in that week in person, generally speaking, it was just chit chat, get to know people. But I did, there was like this one evening we went to a country club for dinner and I was sitting with this girl and we started talking about abortion, <laughs> which is like, obviously one of those really right charged in. issues. Like, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was a good conversation. And to her credit, she, not to her credit, she definitely had not, it doesn't sound like she'd had like meaningful conversation with pro-lifers before but to her credit in that moment she was like i don't get why men would be interested in this like this just seems Mm -hmm. like a woman's issue and rather than attacking me she was like why do you care about this so passionately like why is this and like so major props to her she asked a great question and she gave me space to talk for like 10 minutes and talk about how i see this as a value of human life issue not just a some some women's health question this is like about the value of human life and and so we you know we talked for a bit about like the a fundamental difference like what what radically changed the way i see this is the question of is an unborn baby a human human Mm -hmm. being and Mm -hmm. yes is my answer so yes i care about this um it's like asking why do you care about whether or not kyle rittenhouse murdered people or killed them in self-defense well because it's people and we like right. human life is important. And I think most people recognize that way. That would be interesting whether you're a woman or a man. And so like she actually like major props to her. She let me talk. We still very much differ and we, you know, had some back and forth, but she sent me a text afterwards and was like, just wanted to let you know you're a lovely person. I enjoy to talk to. And I was like, sweet. This was like a profitable dialogue. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we have a discord server. Yeah. Um, discord for those who are unfamiliar has an odd title. But it can be very harmonious, yeah. <laughs> not just discord. Uh, and and so over the course of the past few months, you know, we all have classes and we're online doing Zoom classes and we use discord to chat about a bajillion things, including like current events and happenings. <clears throat> I will say the hardest moment for me emotionally on the discord was when the when SB8 was passed in Texas, like oh, yeah. the number of people who were like not just disagreeing. I, I'm fine. Like when I keep things intellectual, like I can disagree with people and, you know, respect opinions and, and be polite and give pushback and listen. But what was hard was people were like super upset, like super emotional. 
And so they mm-hmm. were super upset about this and then super like celebrating abortion where it is happening. And that was like hard emotionally. Um, right. I think fortunately I and others who were pro-life did a good job of not like getting caught up into the emotion and just like blowing up, but kind of being like, okay, this is a moment not to engage. Let the pro-choice people be upset and excited depending on what they're talking about. And, um, but overall, like it's been actually compared to like Facebook or Twitter. And I think because of the fact we're all in class regularly and we're going to see each other again in January, it forces us to be a little bit more respectful and give space. I'm like, Hey, who knows? Like there's definitely a lot more idea sharing than I think the average American encounters. So it's kind of fun. We're brought together and thus far it stayed pretty respectful and like, yeah, there's lots of hearing. No minds have been changed as far as I know, but that's been positive. I'm like, Hey, and that's okay. Like, I guess uh, there, there's some pushback that comes when you have conversations. Somebody's like, you're not going to change my mind. Right. And you're like, well, I'm like, yes and no. Like we're both trying, we both believe something is true. Right. And there's value. If you believe something wholeheartedly, like I would want you to tell me so that then I can believe that. I think was it Penn from Penn and Teller was like, he's an atheist, I think, or agnostic now, I'm not sure. Um, and he was talking, I think, at one point about a, a Christian who, you know, kept coming up to him, trying to, you know, basically give him a Bible and tell him about Jesus. And he was like, dude, like, I don't believe what you're believing. But he's like, I respect the guy. Like, 100%. what would you do if you believed that hell was real and people were going there? Like, and you didn't talk to them? Like, like, what the heck? No pun intended. Yes. But like, like <laughs> you know what I mean? So he acknowledged that the person was coming from a place of like genuine care and wanting, and he totally disagreed, but we don't have to necessarily change the other person's mind. But if you believe something and it's valuable, you, we would be remiss if we felt like we had to self-censor that from those that are in our lives and not bring them up, even yeah. if they're tough. Um, and the other part too, is to understand how I built my wall and arrived at a conclusion. If you don't understand that, you're going to create a story in your mind for me of why I must believe that. And I think that that is one of the biggest problems we have where uh, we see somebody, you know, share one point and immediately you go, oh, I know which bucket you fall into. You're a right. QAnon, Republican, Trumper and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, OK, none of that is is accurate. Um, let's talk about why I got to that particular conclusion. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and so once you know somebody's in a bucket, you start treating them a certain way and they're all just like all the other people in that bucket. And we're all very guilty of this. It's very hard to break out of that mechanism. Um, and yeah, I to your your point with um you know, your friends from school or colleagues or, you know, uh, students, I guess. Um, do you think that because of the transitory nature of the class that you're not going to be in these people's lives all the time, that you can be a little bit more open and honest and risk that relationship because it's not a forever relationship versus the people in your family or your close knit community or people you work with where you're like, if I upset the boat, this is uncomfortable for the foreseeable future. hundred percent. So no, I mean, and it's classic, right? It's it's even easier to tell a stranger to share with them about the gospel or even confess sin to them. Like, it's just easier to talk right. to somebody you don't really know. Um, when it's like a really close friend trying to tell them about Jesus, or maybe it's a close friend who's a Christian, praying with them. If that's not been part of your friendship, it's really awkward and, and yeah. weird. And I think it's the same with this. You know, I, you know, fortunately, I'm blessed in my family. We're pretty good about being able to talk about ideas. I would say that it's pretty rare, although maybe once in a while that, you know, we just avoid a conversation. <laughs> um, right. You know, I think for president, we voted for like three or four different people and we can mm-hmm. like sit around and talk about it. And it's, um, which is nice, but you know, it is trickier when it's somebody you're closer to. Definitely. Although at the same time, I have been happy because I- I've just been so burned i've actually largely withdrawn i I probably like send a tweet like once a week i think i reply to you the most which is probably like once a month (laughs) yeah and then like i happen to reply to one of uh mark's tweets yesterday about like microsoft office but like so like i just don't engage on facebook i almost never the only times i'll even message is if somebody like direct tags me in something i might reply yeah but like I've just, I feel like I've been so burned by online communication over the past five years. It seems pointless. So I've been really pleasantly surprised with, although there's definitely a broad variety of ideas and the progressives are the loudest, there's a lot of space to be heard in this 
this uh, this law school community. Mm. So I have been pretty happy about that. Uh, but yeah, it, it's hard to have. It's hard to even have conversations where people respect you enough to like listen to you and you them these days. So I've been yeah. happy about that, but it's it's not easy. We I need wonder more. if, uh, yeah, I feel like um, we're we're probably did like opposites in that in in how we respond online in, in that regard, and that's probably to my detriment in my real world relationships where people see me and they they judge me by my online presence. And again, that's. Um, it's just a very myopic view of who I am and how I arrive at things, especially if you're looking at my Twitter and I like, like a thing. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm also liking this because I see value here. I'm not saying that I fully believe this thing, but there's something here that is in, is important to the whole picture. Yeah. I'm not, it's not, a, it's not a, uh, like I love this and this is what it's true. Um, you know, so if you're like looking at me just through Twitter, you're going to see Twitter Ethan, which is, you know, an abstraction of who I am. That's not right. really real. Right. But on the other hand, you know, I oscillate back and forth so much between do I just give up on social media and let the thing burn and let people go bananas or do I try to bring a voice of reason mm. or as I see reason, right? Other people would probably disagree, um, you know, my voice and perspective and try to have a rational conversation in that space. Because if you if you allow bad ideas to persist in a vacuum, then people are going to go, um, you know, thinking that they're they're alone. Right. And. I've had numerous people reach out to me and, and they say like, thanks for talking about this stuff online. Like, I agree with you. And I've talked to those people, some of those people in life, like in real life. And they're like, yeah, I go through and I'm like, oh, I agree. I like, like, and I was like, I see you liking it. I was like, how come you don't comment? Yeah. And they're like, well, I just don't feel, you know, and I'm like, that's fine. You don't feel called yeah. to like, don't do it unless you feel like that's your, you're like, you should do that. Um, but there are lots of people that unless somebody says it, they're going to feel alone. Mm. And uh, so for me, I feel kind of called still. <laughs> and my wife yeah. gives me like, you know, a hard time for this. She's like, don't reply, don't do it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not. <laughs> I'm not hot. saying I will. <laughs> I'm undecided. Yeah. <laughs> she, you know, she's like, don't do it, don't do it. It's just going to make things worse. Oh, and I was like, but to, to like not allow it to like, to end on that note, I, I don't feel comfortable. Let me, let me take a yeah. step back. Cause I'm also replying for all those that are reading the conversation mm. because um, hopefully that they can see some of the, like the stuff that's happening and they'll, it, it'll inform their way of thinking. So if we, if I remove that, um, I don't know, I feel like it creates a, a, a vacuum. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I would say that was, I was called to that ministry for several years. Fortunately, yeah. God has allowed me to step away from it. <laughs> um, I would, nice. but probably from like 2007 to 2015 ish. Yeah. I think it was even like, it was a good godly thing. I think for the, I'm sure I made some mistakes, but for the most part, I feel like I, I've, I literally had tens of thousands of Facebook interactions. Some of them were thousands of words, long comments and posts. Yeah. And I do feel like by and large, again, I'm sure I made some mistakes, but by and large, it was genuinely part of my service to the Lord. I felt like God was calling me to bring some, some, some graciousness and even asking questions, but also bringing some, some bold stands for like directly for Jesus and the gospel, but also indirectly by taking stands for like, just truth on a number of issues and truth is God's truth. And, right. and, and I do feel like that was like, that was genuinely me trying to serve Jesus. Well, I, I did get to the point where I was like, it didn't feel productive anymore for me. And so I felt like God, like, right. let me step away from that ministry. But I certainly, Hey, I like some of your tweets and I appreciate following you. If it weren't for people like you, I wouldn't be on Twitter every day. But I, yeah. the last time I tweeted was like in September. <laughs> and that's fine. Um, and that's where yeah. I, like, I, I think each person needs to ask the question of like, is, do you feel like this is what you should be doing? Yeah. If so, keep doing it. Like, if not, don't feel obliged to do it. And that is probably true of most things, not just social media, but a lot of things we should, we should be asking ourselves that regularly. Um, and then deciding if like, I can't, I can't do this, you know, or this particular thread, I, I can't continue on this or with you. And um, yeah. How, how different would social media be if everyone on there was like, even if maybe at times misguided, but was like really trying to like be thoughtful and honor God with their actions. Wow. It'd be a different space. <laughs> 
Well, I think that would be of every every avenue of life, right? Valid, <laughs> but man, what a know, different social store. media. <laughs> I, I, maybe it is partly me just being older and curmudgeonly, but it does seem, I feel like, again, chat rooms, and chat rooms also had the nonsense, you know what I mean? Like, you know, back in the 90s, people would still hop into chat rooms and give their measurements or whatever. Like, it was, stuff happened. Like... But I was also like, maybe again, I was 13, so I just missed half of it. But it seemed like such a generally more uh, cordial and it even when people were being like jerks, they were somehow yeah. like the rando jerk rather than just feeling like it was an imp- oppressive environment. Now it's, I don't know, I get on social media and feel overwhelmed. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I, I also think that there's some weird stuff that has happened in social media. At, early on, it, I fe- it felt much more organic in the things that would surface, mm. um, everyone liked it, right? And so you would see a video because literally everyone sent it and shared it because they all thought it was shareable. But what ended up happening is these social networks decided to throttle content and make them pay to get visibility, which yeah. meant ideas that general people like or the most people no longer surface. And so you don't get the most coherent argument surfacing to the top. You don't get the best video of the person going out and serving that person in the community. You get what is paid for and who has money that's what you're going to see. And so um, that makes it really, really difficult, I think, mm. um, and, and, and not natural. So we're, we're like, think that's a natural relationship, but that natural relationship is being heavily influenced by the, the social media companies. And so I think we, we're, I don't know, not. Uh, so so closing question. Um, I, I think there are, I would like to ident- put both of us in this bucket, but others too who almost could be tempted towards like the uh to to be in the I don't have a bucket bucket and almost be like self-righteous about it how do you how do you work hard to to think well and not just get sucked into groupthink but also don't like be almost like proud of your like I'm not in groupthink think I don't know this is this is like a, a yeah is what I'm saying making sense? Because I also sometimes see these like self-righteous, I'm moderate posts. And I'm like, oh, I hope that's not me. Lord, Lord help me not be that. <laughs> and by the way, I don't think that's you either. But like, you know what I'm saying? And like, how do you not become that? I mean, I, I generally know that I'm in buckets. I just don't know what they are. Gotcha. Right? Like, I, like I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not. I, I for sure have things that I'm in. Now, I generally think that they're the best buckets. Right. Uh, and a minimum for the right reasons, but that's everyone. But at least being cognizant of that, it's mm. like so I'm, some self-awareness. I'm self-aware that I'm blind to the things I'm blind to. Mm. And uh, I'm going to try to come in with a humble perspective. I'm also understanding that I'm going to come in very emotional at some points. And so is the other person. And it's, I feel like it has more to do with how much grace you have for the other person coming into the conversation and genuine curiosity it's less about where I am and what bucket I'm in and where the other person, like how curious you are about the other person. To me, that's the sign of somebody who is either in the middle or open, right? You can, you can be a, you can be a far left person. That's super bananas. But if you're at least open and curious about me, then even like, I don't care if you're in the middle per se, like, or not in a camp, like I, can have a conversation and trust that you got to that perspective following information and being open-minded even if you ended up landing on that side um i don't know dude yeah. curiosity i know i said that was the last question but i've been thinking the past few weeks curiosity is so it's interesting it makes for fun conversations it makes for a healthy kind of open-mindedness curiosity is so important and I have been wondering the past few weeks, like, how do we, I almost wonder if we have a curiosity problem as a culture and, and how do we stay curious? How do we encourage other people to be curious? Um, I, I, I teach some and I, I help with a couple of classes for like middle schoolers and high schoolers. And some of the students are super curious and some are not. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm nat- not naturally wired to teach kids. Cause I'm kind of like, how do I help them be curious? Whereas I think like, just mm. intuitive great teachers for young children like just know how to like pull that curiosity out um maybe neither of us are experts at teaching little kids how to be curious but like what what are your thoughts on curiosity briefly then we'll wrap up sure i i think that some people have a higher you know 
proclivity to be curious than others. Uh, just looking at my own kids, my son is very deep in his thinking um, and intellectually like staggering in my mind. Sometimes I sit back, I'm like, what did you like? You're asking me this question. Like God is him a person or a cloud. And I'm like, okay, well, you were like four, maybe three and a half when he asked that question. I was like, what are you doing in your mind? Like, wow, you know, so awesome. he's just like asking these like heavy, meaty questions. But my daughter is very curious in a different way. She's very curious in like scientific realm, right? She wants to know the details about a bird and the, the like the, the order that it's in, right? They're, they're very different spaces of being curious. So I think curiosity is a very unique thing per person, per topic and per space. Um, but what I think is detrimental to that is enter entertainment i think i don't know who said it but something like boredom breeds you know just like the the creative mind and if you when you're bored you're forced to retreat into your mind you're forced to process things you're so it, it's the opportunity to be creative in that space and so if you're entertained uh it doesn't give your mind that moment to process and unpack things and then realize what's missing and then be like i'm kind of curious about that right and we see it with people with, with, with like, especially our phones, right? How many of us stand in a grocery store and we sit there with like, okay, I have five seconds, I'm going to check my phone. Instead of looking around and, and saying, hey, there's a person in line in front of me. Why are they, why are they dressed like that? You know, why is this this way? Um, how come this food costs 10, you know, 10% more this week than last week? Like it, we start, you know, we're, we become more in tune with our environment and the people around us. And so I think one of the biggest detriments to curiosity is entertainment. Um, huh. Not that entertainment isn't good in the, in uh, moderation, but we are just over entertained where we don't have to be curious. Hundred percent. That's good. Uh, let's uh, let's call it a wrap with that. Thanks, Ethan, for taking some time to chat. I loved well, hearing from my you. My pleasure, man.